Thank you, Father, for being kind towards us, being good to us, Father. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much, Father. Father, words are never enough to express our gratitude. And Father, we will spend thousands of years on our knees at your throne, Father, declaring your goodness, and it still won't, won't be enough, Father. But Father, we'll still do it. We'll still declare that you are good and that your mercy endures forever. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for creating your church. Thank you, Father, for establishing your gifts in the church. We thank you, Father. We're so thankful, Father, we just want to thank you each and every day for what you've done personally in our, in our own lives, Father. Lord, for all of these things, we give you all the praise and the honor for them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? Amen. We appreciate him. Amen. You know, he's done so much for us. Amen. And um, we're so thankful for these things. And so... Uh, Today, as we said earlier, we have a special guest with us today, Brother Randall Greer, all the way from Owasa, Oklahoma. Amen. And um, if you head to Tulsa and head, is it northeast from Tulsa? It's north, it's somewhere north of Tulsa. Uh, it's that way over there somewhere, right? In the flatlands of uh, the middle of America. And so, uh, of course, Tulsa is uh, the faith movements. It's Mecca, right, for the faith movement. So, of course, Brother Hagin was there, but... It wasn't just Brother Hagen, Teal Osborne was there, and, and uh, of course, Oral Roberts were there, and uh, there's a lot of uh, good faith ministers there. Bob Yandian's still there, I guess, and, and so uh, there's, uh, it's, a gr- it's a great place to visit, amen? Uh, and so let's give a warm Dayton, Tennessee welcome to Brother Randall Greer, amen? God is with us. He's on our side. Am I on? Mom, Jared, everything good? Okay. God is with us. He's on our side. I'm glad to be here in the thriving metropolis of Dayton, Tennessee. Better known as Monkey Town. (laughs) You know, it's amazing that uh, in my travels, especially in Tennessee, I asked people, they asked, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Monkey Town. They said, where? Of course, uh, at the FBO where we park our airplane at this particular time, I, the lady behind the desk, I mentioned to her that I was going to Monkey Town. She said, Monkey Town? I said, they, she said oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I know about it. So she knew about it. <laughs> so thank God for it. It's good to be here, Dr. Chip, Pastor Chris, all of you. We thank God for you, and thank you for coming. And we've got part of our prayer team here, too. And of course, we've got some here that's already here and then. And Sister Billy and Miss Becky there, they came, uh, I guess they knocked it neutral out of Missouri and come down the road over the highways, hills and hollows. And then St. Chris, you know, I got two Chris's now that, that work with us. And so I call one of them Dr. Stout because that's his last name. He's a full-blown Cherokee Indian. So he goes on the warpath every now and then. <laughs> Not really. He's a very good guy. And then so I call him Dr. Stout because his name is Chris Stout. 
And then I call Chris, by faith, St. Chris. <laughs> you can have what you say. And so St. Chris is on Interstate 40, driving to Pigeon Forge. He left uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma this morning at 5 a.m. Central Time, 6 uh, Eastern. And so he'll be rolling in probably about 6 p.m. this evening over in Pigeon Forge if we can keep him going in the right direction and keep the accidents off the road. And then, of course, we'll be there in Pigeon Forge, as Dr. Chip has already said, starting on Tuesday night and then Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, and Thursday morning, Thursday night. But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your mercy that endures forever and ever. And fathers, we reverently and humbly approach your word today. We thank you for revelation of your word. Thank you for illustration of your word. And thank you for impartations of the spirit of the living God that enable us to walk out what we have heard. And Father, we give you the glory, we give you the honor, and we give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start out by telling you a story. Is that all right? And story not meaning, I'm not going to tell you a lie. You know, I'm not talking about a story like that. I'm going to tell you the truth. There was a, a young boy, that his name was Kenneth Irwin Hagen. And Kenneth Irwin Hagen, was, he was born with uh, several diseases. In fact, the diseases that he had uh, actually determined his uh, longevity in life. In fact, the doctors said, through the knowledge that they had in their day, that he would not live usually beyond the age of 16 years old. He had a heart disease. He had an incurable blood disease. He had uh, part paralysis in his body because it didn't... Uh, blood didn't flow like it should and give all these organs, you know, the function that it should. And so he got down to death's door. And uh, he wasn't saved and so, or anything. He thought he was, but he wasn't. Because uh, from his deathbed, he actually died and his spirit left his body. And he said when his spirit left his body, it went down, down, down. And he said as he, he left his body, it's, he said his spirit just jumped out of his body. His physical body's still there. But see, when you physical body ceases to exist uh, in this realm and which ceases to function, that'd be the way to say it. Your physical body ceases to function. That doesn't mean that you cease to function. You are a spirit being. You possess a soul and you live in a physical body. So you're going to live forever like it or not. I said you're going to live forever. Once God created you as a living spirit, you're going to have a body, a spiritual body, just like Jesus has today, and you're either going to be in heaven or hell. I mean, that's just the way it is. And that is determined, of course, by you. And some people accuse God of sending people to hell. But God has never sent anybody to hell, nor will he ever. If you go to hell, it'll be against the protest and the will of God. Because God set a cross on the hill of Golgotha. And he hung a man named Jesus Christ on that cross to die in my place. Because I deserve to die for my sin. But he allowed Jesus Christ to take my place on that cross. And through Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his death, his burial and resurrection... God accepted Jesus' sacrifice, and if I would, for my sins, and if I'll accept Jesus, uh, then I'll not go to hell. 
So Jesus on that cross on the hill of Golgotha was a stop sign for the world. And God is not sending people to hell. It became apparent to me, really apparent, when one of my friends passed away. And I don't have time to tell that story. I got the time. You may not. But anyway, to tell that story. But I want to get back to this story. But uh, God doesn't send people to hell. You, God's given you, created you with the ability of choice. And you can choose to do what you want to. You can choose to serve God today, what you have. You've come here and, and you said, I want to gather. I want to hear the word of God. I want to worship him, you know. And then, or you can choose to do whatever you want to. You could spit in the face of God or whatever you want to do. You can curse him if you wanted to. And I mean, there's people that do it today. I mean, it goes on. And God permits it and allows it. Of course, there's going to come a day that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. But uh, Kenneth Irwin Hagen, this young boy, on this deathbed, I mean, he's, he's dying. It's over. The spirit left his body. He started going down, down, down. As he went down, he said, uh, Hey! Hey! He had a body. He had hands. He had feet. But it was a spiritual body. When he left here, you're going to look just like you look now, except you'll look prettier. <laughs> Ladies, men, you'll look more handsome when you get there, you know. In, in that realm. But he started going down. And he started to protest. And he said, I'm going the wrong way. I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> he knew enough that, that hell was down and heaven was up. I'm going the wrong way. I'm going the wrong way. And he started protesting. And he said, Lord, <clears throat> I'm a member of the church. Well, it didn't do him no good. You know, silence. Lord, I've been baptized. Didn't do him no good. But anyway... He died more than once. I think it was the third time. He died actually three times, and, and he came back to his body the first time, came back the second time, and then the third time he thought this was over. He saw the gates of hell, and he saw creatures that from hell that actually come out and tried to escort him, was going to escort him down into the gates of hell. And he knew, just in his spirit, he knew if he went past those gates, the gates of hell, that he would never come out again. And so he still really tried to stop himself from going. And this time he started praying, God, forgive me. I've received Jesus Christ anyway. He came up and his spirit reunited with his body, laying on his bed at his grandma Drake's house. Because he's at Granny Drake's house when this happened, where they could have help watching him and everything, you know. And said he was praying so loud when his spirit got in his body and his mama was praying too because <clears throat> he died. And they was praying so loud that they stopped traffic for two blocks because people didn't know what in the world's going on. Now, it wasn't like it is today. And you don't have all the, you know, cars and things they could do today, but they stopped traffic for two blocks because he was praying. So anyway, when he got born again <clears throat> and saved... You know, he got right with God. He said such peace just came over him. He said he would just praise himself to sleep at night because he knew death was inevitable. There's no hope for him. The doctor had told him, he said, of the diseases you got, he said, if you didn't have but just this one, call it incurable blood disease, he said, that alone will cause you and necessitate that you die young. And he said, there is nothing 
that medical science can do for you. So it was dim. It was dark. And every day prior to that, I mean, he was sad and depressed, but once he got born again and his spirit got back in his body and he's right with God, he said he would praise himself to sleep uh, every night. He would just thank God that I'm on my way to heaven. Just lay back and let her go. I mean, if I, if I go, I know where I'm going this time. I'm not going down. I'm going up. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you, I'm going to take a trip on that good old gospel ship. I'm going far beyond the sky. I'm going to shout and sing until the heavens ring while I'm bidding this world goodbye. Anybody remember that song? <laughs> I might make Dr. Chip sing it. No. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to take a trip. You remember it? No, baby, I know my wife remembers it. Yeah. I'm going to take a trip. Sometimes these old songs just rise up in me. But anyway, I'm, I'm still telling the story. He's lying there on the bed, and there's no hope. And so he decided, well, I'm going to get the Bible. If there's any hope whatsoever in me, his grandma Drake, Granny Drake, they called her, she was a good Methodist lady, you know. You know, they used to have shouting Methodists, shouting Baptists. Didn't Granny Walker tell you about the shouting Baptists? I mean, they used to shout and praise God, you know. We studied in Bible school, you know, the way the Quakers got their name is because they used to shake and quake under the power. The power would be so strong. Now, you wouldn't know it today. Well, I ain't knocking the Quakers. I mean, the Pentecostals, that's how we got their name because we was uh, crazy too. But I think we've lost our craziness, you know. <laughs> Maybe it'll come back to us. We used to shake and quake under the power. But anyway, Grandma Greg had a Methodist, pretty big Methodist Bible. So he got him to bring it to him. And so he didn't have much strength. And he'd go in and out of consciousness because his body wouldn't function incorrectly. And he would just get that Bible and he would just turn through it. He'd start reading, you know, in the book of John. He'd get through the certain places. In fact, he said he was reading in the New Testament. He couldn't get to, it took him six months to go through Matthew chapter 6. He's getting to Dr. Chip. <laughs> Dr. Chip can do an exegesis, and we say, come to Jesus on these scriptures, you know, and thank God for it. That's the gifting and equipping that he has in his life, in which we're pleased that he can do that, you know. But uh, anyway, he said it took him six months to go to Matthew chapter, chapter 6, because what he had done, that he had made a pledge to God that everything that he read in that Bible, that he would obey it. And so when he got down in Matthew chapter 6, it says, take no thought for your life. In other words, and it said in his Bible, it had a little footnote, don't worry or have any anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. And he said, he spoke right out to the Lord. He said, well, Lord, if I can't worry about nothing, he said, I'll never be a Christian. <laughs> he said, because my, my mama... And he said, my granny Drake, he said, they're world champion warriors. And he said, they're number one and number two. And he said, I come in at number three. He said, I've worried every day of my life. And you're telling me here, don't anxious, don't be worried. And the footnote said, don't worry, don't, don't have any fear about tomorrow. He said, Lord, I can't be a Christian. If I can't, I can't I'm going to have to worry. Everybody's got to worry. I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that and I'm worried about this. 
So he said he tried to get out of Matthew 6 and he couldn't do it because he wouldn't obey Matthew 6. He said he tried to read old and it was just darkness. He said he didn't get no light out of the Bible. It didn't seem to mean anything, just a deadness was on him. So he backed up to Matthew chapter 6 and started over again. You know, when you get light, God expects you to light. What I mean is revelation. When you understand truths in the Word of God, when you understand a scripture, because God knows we don't understand everything, but when you understand the scripture, God expects us to do what it says. Now, there's mercy and grace in there that will help us and, and go along with it. But anyway, he said he couldn't get no more light until he went back. And then finally, one day, after six months of wrestling, would not having to worry or be anxious or, or any anxiety or any of that kind of stuff, he finally just made a pledge to the Lord. He said, okay, Lord, okay. I'll do it. He said, from this day forward, I'm not going to worry anymore. And he said, I made a decree to God. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to be concerned. I'm not going to worry. And he said, now, he said, from that day forward, when he was teaching this many years later, he said, from that day forward, he said, I never worried again in my life. He said, however... I did pass up some marvelous opportunities <laughs> to worry and fret and be anxious. He said, but I passed them up. And he went on with God. So anyway, he started getting more light as he went through the Bible. And then he got over into the Word of God and he's seen in Mark chapter 11, verse number 23, that it says there that you can have what you say. And it says also in 11.24 that what things you desire when you pray, believe that you have received them. That's what it literally means. While you're praying, believe that you have received them, you shall have them. And so he didn't know, though, if that meant that you could believe God for your healing. What things soever you desire. Was one of those things healing for his physical body? He's on a deathbed. He's going to die. Medical science, uh, I mean, told him. The doctors, I mean, one of the top doctors in his area, told him, son, there's nothing we can do for you. And, and he wasn't trying to be cruel. He wanted to know. He wanted to know what he was against. You know, uh, Mr. Hagen did. And, and from the doctor. In fact, uh, the doctor said there's no hope for you at all. But he kept meditating on that verse. And he said, Lord, does this verse mean that I can believe you for healing? That I do not have to die? Lord, I've never had a, a normal childhood like other children. He was different. You know, there's, there's times that we have situations that we face that we're not normal. Our lives are not just like somebody else's. And if you try to put your life just like somebody else, you'll think, well, I'm not like them and I'm not like him. Well, he wouldn't like nobody else either. He never had a normal childhood like anybody else. He never run, jumped, and played much. If he did, he would pass out and faint, you know, as a little kid. But laying there on that bed, he actually actually tried to get a, a preacher to come in. He got Granny Drake to get a, a pastor to come because he wanted to ask him the question about Mark eleven twenty four. Does this mean, this verse, what things shall you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Does it mean, this verse mean, that I can believe God for healing. Does it mean healing or is it just some kind of spiritual thing? Or can I believe God for my physical body? And so this pastor came, and he was a well-meaning pastor, and I'm not belittling, but uh, when Dad Hagen, uh, that's what we call him now, his name was Kenneth Irwin Hagen, 
But when this young boy, you know, there at 16 years old, right in there, 15, 16 years old, got the pastor to come in, he tried to point out the verse to him in, in Grandma Drake's Methodist Bible and tried to enunciate words, and he would say, uh, 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 because he couldn't talk. He was paralyzed. His throat wouldn't work right. And his body was about three-quarters of the paralyzed. In fact, there was a time that half his body from his waist down was totally paralyzed as he lay there in that bed dying. The doctor said that's what would happen to him. But anyway, when the pastor come, he couldn't make out, the, the pastor couldn't make out for him. Of course, I'm sure his heart of compassion went out to him. And so he said that uh, he just patted him on the hand, this pastor did, and said, my boy, just stay in the middle of the road for the time is short, you know. And, of course, when he left, the pastor did. You could imagine, because he could hear well, you know. He just couldn't communicate in English because his vocal cords is half paralyzed. So as he lay there on that bed, he said darkness came overcoming, a sadness and depression that I've got to die. And he lay in that kind of stupor for quite a while. And then he decided, well, he has nothing else to do. He's going to get back in the book, so to speak, the Bible. And he turned back to that scripture. And after hours and hours and days and weeks of just meditating on that verse, he said, Lord, I'm going to take this verse at its word. And he said, if this verse is true, I'm coming up off of this deathbed. I am not going to die. What things, Mark eleven twenty four? what things soever you desire... When you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. I'm coming up off of this deathbed. If this is true, I'm going to have it. So he kept meditating on it, meditating on it. So he got to the point that his faith began to grow to the point, you know, faith always is always action. Faith is always action of some type. Remember, Dr. Chip has taught us this. Faith is always an act, action of some type. Well, the only action he had at the moment uh, was speaking words from his mouth. That's all he could do. And that's the primary way that you release faith from your heart is through your mouth. You speak and declare what you want to see come to pass. So laying in that bed, uh, given up to die, he started saying out of his mouth, he just was impressed. The Bible says, what things whoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you have received them, and you shall have them. So he started saying, I believe that I receive healing for paralysis. I believe that I receive healing for heart disease. I believe that I receive healing for the blood disease. He said, in case he missed anything, he said, I believe that I received healing from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And so he raised his hands as much as he could because he's not paralyzed totally up, you know, from the waist up, but just from the waist down. So he could raise his hands a little bit. He began to praise God. And he said, Lord, I'm telling you today, I declare that I believe that I'm healed regardless of what my body says. I believe, Lord, that I'm going to live and not die. And I praise you, Lord, for it. I glorify you for it. You know, you can talk yourself into being happy if you want to. Or you can talk yourself into being sad. So he just talked himself happy while he was there. Praising the Lord, glorifying the Lord. He said, Lord, I believe your word. I believe that I'm healed. He said, I'd let somebody cut my head off for I said your word's not true. It's kind of extreme, but that's what he said. He would admit it. You know what I mean? 
He had done read, read it too much and believed this is a 16-year-old boy. 16-year-old boy. So that day, he didn't, after weeks of doing this, you know, finally one day he was laying in that bed, he was just telling the Lord, Lord, I believe your word, Lord, I believe what it says. And the Lord said to him, he said, oh, you believe you're healed then? He said, yes, I believe I'm healed. He said, I believe your word. I'd let somebody cut my head off before I said that word wasn't true. I am healed from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And he's laying there in the bed, partially paralyzed from the waist down. Totally paralyzed from the waist down. And he said, well, you believe that you're healed then. Healed people and well people's not in bed at 10 o'clock in the morning. It was at 10 o'clock. He said, get out of the bed. Well, immediately he could, have, he could have said to himself, I can't get out of the bed. But instead of doing that, he thought, well, yeah, I, I need to be up from here. But how do you get up if you're paralyzed? Well, people have been helping him get up, moving him around, rolling him over in the bed so he wouldn't get bed sores and all that kind of stuff, bringing his food tray to him and all that, bathing him, you know, laying there in the bed and all that stuff. But he said he decided instead of just laying there, he was going to obey what he sensed inside. And he said he took one of his legs and kind of pushed it off the bed. It hit the floor like a, st a, a, a stick of old stove wood, you know, whop. And then he, he kind of pulled himself up a little bit and kind of slid down. And it was in, in this bed at Granny Drake's house is one of them high post beds. You know, the high, you all know the high post? We used to have one of them, didn't we? Had the high post. Anyway, he, he slid down and he got his other leg off by pushing it off, you know, the bed and then used his hands to kind of slide his body down to that leg all the time, praising God he's healed and he's still just as worse off as he ever had been. But he said he got and slid down to that old post, got his hands on it, kind of pulled himself up a little bit. You know, you know he didn't have much strength. And he put his hands on top of that post, you know. And then he pulled himself up. And the next thing you know, he was praising God, glorifying God, magnifying God. And he said suddenly, he said the power of God hit him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And feeling came back into his body. His legs began to work. And the next thing you know, he was right walking around in that room with his hands raised and praising and glorifying God. He was totally healed from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. That was 16 years old. He lived to be later on. He was in his 87th year when he went to heaven. And I said, Brother Randy, what did you tell all that story for? I thought you might ask me that question. This is what the Lord has been dealing with me about personally. And I, I, I knew it was what he wanted to be share with you about today. One thing that you can learn from that story is that Jesus did not come to his room where he was paralyzed and make him do anything. He, Kenneth Hagin, had to make the decision that he was going to do something himself in order to activate God's power. The Lord said this to me recently, in the last few weeks, a couple of weeks. He said, many people in my church are waiting for me to do something when I have actually already done it for them. He said, what they need to do is act on what my word says, and he said, they will receive what my word says. In fact, that's what he told me about my life, about my ministry, and about direction that I believe that he was leading me in. A lot of people are waiting on God to do something for them. And a lot of people pray 
for God to do things for them, and there's nothing wrong with that. Thank God for that. But there are times that God expects you, if it's written in His Word, He expects me to believe what His Word says. When you believe the Word, it means that you act on the Word. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. Dr. Chip may have written this verse. Hebrews chapter 11. And so when the Lord began to deal with me about this, and he dealt with me about it for a good while and still dealing with me about it. He started dealing with me about it weeks ago. But in Hebrews chapter 11, so what the title of the message is, if you want a title, is Believe and You Shall Receive. Believe and You Shall Receive. Kenneth Irwin Hagen, if he had not believed God himself, now God gave him the ability, God gave him the faith through his word, if he had not taken initiative on his own, he would have died probably 16 or 17 years old because he was going down fast. But because he took the initiative on his own, he took action on his own to do something, to change his situation, then he received the miracle and he received healing from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Like I said, that was at 16 years old. But at the same time, he lived to be over in his 87th year. He had already had his 86th birthday and he was in his 87th year when he went to be with Jesus. Thank God for it. So God not only healed him, he kept him all those years. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. Stop right there. Without faith it's impossible to please him. This is speaking of God. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Speaking of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. In order to know what that phrase means, is you have to know what the word impossible means. So if you look up the word impossible in a good dictionary... The definition of the word impossible is not possible. <laughs> Without faith, it is not possible to please him. Without faith, it is not possible to please him. So if I can't please God without faith, that means that I should myself personally... I need to find out what faith is. I need to practice faith so that I can please God. And it says here, <clears throat> and without faith, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So we believe that God is, and you do that by faith. I believe that God exists, and you believe that he exists. 
and you believe that he's real, and I believe that he real, he's real, and we believe that by faith. We must believe that he is. Most everybody here does that. But this is also something else that we've got to believe. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Brother Randy, don't you know anything else? Well, I believe I've discovered something. I believe that we know a lot more than what we're doing. And we're ever learning and wanting a new truth when I haven't walked in the truth that I already know. I remember a story. Can I tell you another story? Are you sure? These stories help us. There was a, a pastor friend of uh, Kenneth E. Hagin's. We called him Dad Hagin's, a term of endearment, a minister of the gospel. There was a pastor friend that had uh, an individual that, in his church that was uh, very bad off. I mean, physically going to die, you know. And they, they were faith people. They, they, they believed God. They believed what the Word says, so on and so forth. And so what he would do is he would go visit her periodically, you know, the pastor would, and he would take her, you know, recordings from this particular minister, just things that would encourage her. And then he would take recordings from another, next time you went from another minister to encourage her, you know, and it would, it would encourage her. And then the next time, maybe he would take something from a different minister, but all, all good material, you know, to encourage her. And he, but there was getting no results. I mean, he's praying, he's believing God, and the person's believing God, but it seemed like it's nothing going anywhere. In fact, it seemed like it's going in reverse. Things were working backwards. And so, as the pastor began to pray, he said, well, Lord, why, why aren't we getting some results with this? Why aren't we getting some results with this? He said, just in his spirit, you know, he didn't hear a booming voice, but right up, he just said, faith cometh by hearing. He kept hearing that. Faith cometh by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. And the pastor was trying to ascertain what, what does that mean? He knew it was coming out of his spirit and he knew it was God showing him that. He said, faith cometh by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. He said, Lord, what are you trying to say? Lord, I'm taking stuff over there. I'm, I'm preaching the word to them. When I go, I'm showing them what the Bible says. He said, faith cometh by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. And then one day, as he was going over there to visit him again, he got the revelation. He said, the Lord said, you're giving her too much, this lady, too much to hear. And it's confusing her. He said, give her one message to hear and let her hear it over and over and over and over and over and over till she gets it. So he told Brother Hagin, that's the reason I brought him up. He told Brother Hagin. He said, I took your, he had a tape back then, a cassette tape with, with the healing scriptures on it. Remember that? Healing scriptures? 
He said, I took that cassette tape with the healing scriptures and I told her, don't listen to anything else. All the other messages I've sent over here, which they were wonderful, but, but don't listen to anything else. You take this one cassette tape up with the healing scriptures on it, with Brother Hagin reading them, and that's all you listen to. Day in and day out, day in, faith cometh by hearing. Faith, and hearing, consistently hearing. You've got to hear it consistently. You don't hear it just one time. And that's why you've heard me quoting something over and over and over and over and over because I'm trying to allow the Word of God to bring faith to you. I'm not wasting my time. This is what the Lord showed me in my life. I'm trying to learn too much, trying to claim too much when I need to get a scripture and claim it. And so this lady began to listen to those cassette tapes. And while she was listening to them over and over, not different messages, not from different places, even though all those things are good, she focused on one thing. And guess what happened to her? She got faith. She reached out, so to speak, and received her healing. And she was totally whole from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet and got up off her deathbed. Because she kept hearing it until it produced faith in her. She kept hearing it until it produced faith in her. You need to concentrate on the Bible. Be specific. Instead of trying to look everywhere else, the Bible means what it says. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Isn't that right? For those that come to Him must believe that He is and that He's what? A rewarder of those who do what? Diligently, diligently, diligently means continually. Sometimes I believe we confuse ourselves. And we cause ourselves to have problems when we're trying to look at and listen to too many things when we should just focus on what God's Word says. So if we can't please God without faith, where can I get faith at? Where can you get faith at? It would be illegal in my book for God to require me to have faith if He did not give me a place to get that faith. So let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Brother Randy, I've heard all this. Maybe like that lady. She had heard it too. But until she focused intently and diligently and stayed on the same thing, the same path, over and over, until she did that, she didn't receive. And I can tell you stories in my own life. And if you look at what happened to Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen when he got up off the deathbed and became a preacher later on, at 16 years old, he focused on the same thing over and over, over and over, over and over, and over and over. But where do you get faith at? Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the way you could say that in the modern day English and not change the Bible, I believe that, that Dr. Chip won't, won't throw me out for saying this. We'll have to see. But it says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is what we can say. Faith comes from hearing God's word. Faith comes from hearing God's word. That's what this verse means. That's all it's saying. You just break it down into a more modern language. Faith comes from hearing God's word. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing God's word. 
Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing God's Word. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing God's Word. Faith comes from hearing God's Word. I'm not trying to be a, a broken record. I'm trying to get something consistently that the Lord's been dealing with me about in my life, and I believe it's going to help the whole body of Christ. And we know these things, but he's really emphasized this about some areas of my life that I, I had believed him for over the years, but I never saw the results that I should, and I, the Lord showed me why, because I was on focusing on too many things. You know what I mean? Instead of just staying with the Word, staying with the, a few scriptures, and I was looking here, looking at this new tape series, this and that new video uh, thing over here, new recording over there. Get the Word of God and stay with it. So faith comes from hearing God's Word. So let's establish this fact. The fact of the matter is simply this. There is no other place on this planet, on this earth, to get faith except from God's Word. There's no other place on this planet, on earth. You can't go down to Food City. Don't they have a Food City over here somewhere? Can't go to Food City. You don't have no 7-Elevens here, do you? Y'all don't have get them up and goes or anything? What about quick trips? You can't go anywhere else and get faith. The only place that we can get faith on this planet is from hearing God's Word. Amen. Just establish that fact. God's Word. That's the only place on the planet that you can get faith is from hearing God's Word. And the reason that I don't have faith in an area of my life is because I have not heard the Scripture enough in that area. If I don't have faith in a certain area of my life that I, I, I need something to take place and something to change, it's because that I had not meditated on the Scripture and heard it enough to produce faith in me. Faith comes by what? Faith comes by what? How do you know that? The Bible says so. It's an open book test. It's no tricks, you know. But you're doing good. And I'm doing good. Faith comes from hearing God's Word. Hearing carries with it a continual act. In other words, it's not something I hear one time or something I read one time. It's something that I hear over and over and over and over and over. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. That's, that's God's Word. That's what it does. Faith comes from hearing God's Word. So if there's no other place on the planet to get faith except from God's Word, then we shouldn't look anywhere else except God's Word to get faith. So how are we going to receive in our life whatever it is that we need from God? How is it that we're going to do it? I believe that Jesus has the answer, not me. This is what He taught me, and in fact, He taught us all. Turn to St. John chapter 15 St. John chapter 15 
St. John chapter 15. This is a promise from Jesus Christ to you and to me. The promise simply says this in St. John chapter 15 verse 7. He said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you or it shall be done for you. That means the same thing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done, you could say, for you. So let's take and just break this verse down. The first thing he says here is, number one, that I've got to abide in Jesus Christ. Number two, his words need to abide in me. Then number three, I ask what I will, what I desire, and then number four is God's part, it shall be done for you or unto you. In other words, God brings it to pass. So what does it mean to abide in me? Well, abide in me carries with it the idea of abiding somewhere. It means you stay put. You know, it would say, well, Brother Randy, I got saved, but it talks about walking with the Lord continually. In other words, living the Christian life, obeying what the Bible says. Now, there's the mercy and grace of God. If you slip, make a mistake, you know, even get into sin. God will forgive you and thank God for that. I mean, we're products, all of us are that. And, of course, we don't set our, our life's goal is to be a sinner and ask for forgiveness every day of our life and, and for 25,000 times a day, you know. What our goal would be is we want to abide in the Lord. In other words, once I get into Christ and I receive Him as my Savior, then what I want to do from that moment on is I want to abide in Him or stay with Him and live like I should live with Him and make Him Lord of my life. So that's what it means to abide in Him. First of all, you've got to be born again. If you've never correct, confessed Jesus as your Lord, then you confess Him, Jesus as your Lord, with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead and you shall be saved. Then, He said, My words must abide in you. My words must abide in you. Why does His word need to abide in us? I'm asking myself that question. Why does this word need to abide in me? Because faith comes by what? Hearing. So I've got to get faith the way I'm going to get faith in areas of my life, whatever it is that I need, spiritually, physically, materially, financially, educationally, it doesn't matter. There's no limit to what God will do if you exercise your faith and believe Him for that. So the way that the Lord taught me this is that, and most of you know this story, but it just bears repeating here. You know, I spent over 10 years of my life behind prison bars. And, of course, I wasn't trying to win the trophy, you know, uh, for who could stay in prison the longest because there's people there still today that I was in prison with. They had life without the possibility of parole. And uh, if you know my story, I, I, I was, you know, back under years ago, I, I became rambunctious and I got involved in drugs, alcohol, and crime. And, the, and I, on my... Uh, Back, and that's back in the, the early, late 60s, early 70s, you know. Just when all that happened. And then I was actually arrested and I went to prison. And eventually, you know, and, and so and I escaped three times. I had a pastor up north one time ask me, he said, Brother Randy, why did you escape from prison three times? And I said, Pastor, I said, I didn't get it right the first time. 
I said, I didn't get it right the second time. <laughs> I said, I finally got away the third time. You know, I just stayed with it until I got away. I put my mind to doing something. And usually, you know, that's kind of the way I am. If I really put my mind to something and I'm determined about something, then with God's help, it'll come to pass, you know, So in Christianity. So anyway, I was in prison. And uh, I became a born-again Christian on my third escape from prison, turned myself into the authorities, admitted everything I'd done wrong. When I went to court, I'd normally lied, cheat, tried to lie my way out of everything. But when I got born again, I knew that the Lord wanted me to go up there and tell the judge I was guilty and the attorney. He thought I was out of my mind, you know, because my parents had got an attorney to try to keep me from going to prison for the rest of my natural life. But I told the attorney, I said, I can't get up there and plead not guilty because if I do, I'll be lying. And I said, God won't help me because, because I, I, I sensed that, that the Lord would not help me. But if I would just confess and just tell him that I'm guilty, that somehow he would help me. And of course, I didn't know it. But there was a law in the books that under certain extenuating circumstances that the judge himself in the state of Alabama, because this is where it happened, the state of Alabama could set aside something called the Habitual Offenders Act, which would put me in prison for the rest of my natural life. The Attorney General, you remember him, Mr. Graddick, Attorney General Graddick in the state of Alabama, he read on the platform that if you elect me and put me in as Attorney General, he said, we'll put these criminals away for the rest of their natural life. If they got three different felonies of a certain class, class A, class B, class C, class A, I had all the classes, by the way. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I had all the classes. I met the criteria, you know. I passed the test on that one. Then you would automatically, I mean, it's an automatic sentence. All the judge does is sign the documents. You would get life without the possibility of parole. Possibility. I'd never get out. And the attorney told me, you cannot get up there and plead uh, guilty. He said, because all that's left then, he said, you're going to get life without parole. But... I'd done what the Lord said against the protest of my attorney. In fact, he told the judge. He said, Your Honor, he said, I've advised my client not to do what, he, he, what he's about to do. And he said, I said, he said, normally I would enter a plea for my client in my behalf. You know, and he would. You'd, you'd be there beside him, but he would do the talking. He said, but in this case, Your Honor, he said, I cannot bring myself to do that. His parents have hired me to protect this young man and he said but he's got religion now <laughs> that's what they called it getting religion listen you ought to get some of that I'm telling you and he said I don't know if what he's doing is right he said but I want it on record that I've advised my client not to do what he's about to do and the judge said so noted and he said how do you plead son and I said, I plead guilty. And he, had, he said, wait a minute. He said, do you realize what you're being charged with? I said, yes, sir. I believe I do. He said, bailiff? He said, yes, sir. He said, had the, had the court clerk to come. So the court clerk come. He said, would you read the charges again in plain English? so that this young man can understand what he's been charged with and the ramifications of pleading guilty in this case because I'm not accepting it yet. So she read off these charges, <laughs> read them off, <laughs> not just one. 
read off these charges. And it looked like that it was over. But when she got through and then read what the sentence would be, she said, do you understand? I said, yes, Your Honor. He said, has anybody coerced you into pleading guilty? Coerced means forced or compelled or made you do it. I said, no, sir. He said, have you been promised anything by the district attorney? Because, you know, district attorneys can make deals, you know. Ask Hunter Biden. <laughs> I don't know why I had to say that. I, I was doing good until then. But ask Hunter, you can make deals on the side. Don't mean the judge is going to go with it, you know. But you didn't. In that, in that case, they didn't. But anyway, you can make deals, you know, with the, uh, with the attorney, uh, district attorney. He said, does the district attorney promise you anything? I said, no, Your Honor. And, of course, the district attorney spoke up and said, no, Your Honor. He said, we haven't made any kind of deal whatsoever, of what they call a plea deal. You can do something called a plea deal to make it a lesser sentence for you. No. But anyway, to make a long story longer and shorter, you know I can do it both ways. The judge stopped the courtroom, called the district attorney forward. He called my attorney forward, and they discussed it. You know, they're going back and forth, you know, up there. And then... Uh, the attorney came back. This attorney went back to where he was sitting. And my attorney came back. And he looked over at me. He said, something's going on. I said, sir? He said, something's going on. I said, yes, sir. I didn't know what to say. You know, something's going on. Is that good? Is it bad? I didn't want to ask if it's good or bad. <laughs> something's going on. And so he said to the court and to the bailiff, he said, uh, we're going to recess for no more than 10 minutes. And so I have to stay there. Of course, I've got an armed guard beside me and the attorney, you know, he walked out and he said, I'll be right back. He said, you need anything? I said, no, sir. He said, I'm going to call your mama because she hadn't been able to make it, you know, because they didn't know. They took me to court. They didn't tell my parents when the date was at because he didn't know it either. And he was local so he could get there, but they had to come from another state to get there. I'm call your mama and tell her something's going on. I don't know what. I said, okay. So anyway, when the judge came back, they had me rise up, and to make a long story short, there was a law on the books in the state of Alabama that when a convict, you know what a convict is? They're convicted felons. Convicted, convicted felon. When a convicted felon pled guilty to the Habitual Offenders Act, which means there's no jury trial, there's no hearing. You don't have a lawyer presenting your case, and you don't have a district attorney presenting his case, and then a jury deciding it. The judge is the sole discretion in that case. When an, an individual in the state of Alabama pled guilty to the Habitual Offenders Act, which would give you life without the possibility of parole, the judge himself, under certain extenuating circumstances, could, at his own discretion, set aside the Habitual Offenders Act if he chose to. And guess what happened? That judge, I know, was moved on by God. He set aside the Habitual Offenders Act, which would give me life without the possibility of parole. He set it aside. And I did not have to stay in prison the rest of my natural life. Aren't you glad? <laughs> yes. 
here I am. And here you are. But that come from following the inward witness, obeying the Bible. I was abiding in the Lord, and He was abiding in me. If I got up and told them that I'm not guilty, I would be lying. And, of course, the attorney said, my attorney, said this normal protocol in a court of law. Well, it may be normal protocol in the world, man's world, but it's not in God's world. And God helped me. But still, I had to go back to prison, of course, on time that I had. And that's what I want to tell you about. What time is it? Oh, we got a few minutes left. Don't pass that on me. I'm still talking about the reason that we don't receive more from God than we do. Me, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking to me. I'm going to let you listen just because you were so gracious to come. I'm not preaching at you. I'm not preaching to you. The Lord said, son, the reason you haven't received more <clears throat> than you have is because you haven't set yourself diligently to seek me about it. You haven't been diligent. And you know what? I want to take up for myself. Have you ever wanted to take up for yourself? I want to take up to, to him and just tell him, Lord, you've missed it. <laughs> Lord, I think you didn't get this right. This is as respectful as I could. But you know, when I examined what he said, he said I hadn't diligently sought him for those things. I had to agree with him. I hadn't done what I was supposed to do. I hadn't believed the Bible like I knew I was supposed to do. I mean, I had went at it. You know how we do. You know, I say, wait, remember, I'm preaching. I, you know how I do. I'm not preaching to you. I'm going to let you listen. No, we get excited because we hear Dr. Chip with his, all this elegant speaking and words, and he breaks it down so that, I mean, anybody could understand it, you know. And you say, oh, I'm going to do this. Who? And you do. You are two-day wonder. <laughs> uh, I'm a two-day wonder, not you. I'm preaching to me. And uh, after two days, you wonder, what in the world am I doing? And you just forget it, you know. And I'm not getting on anybody. I'm talking to me. But the Lord said, the reason you have not received more than you have is because you haven't diligently sought it. He said, you've been half-hearted. You know what I mean? Go half the way. You start believing me about something, and then you get confused. You get to looking at all this other stuff. With this, and then, you know, can I tell on myself? Y'all sure you want me to tell on myself? The other day I was walking around our airplane. Hall. I say the other day, a week or so ago. I've been doing a lot of seeking God. And, and I knew that the Bible says, you know, in, in Timothy, you know, it says pray first of all for those all in authority and everything else. And I'd been meditating on the Word, I don't know, that morning, two and a half, three hours. I mean, just, just soaking it up, you know. I needed so much of it. And I was out there, and I, I started out, and the Lord had hit me a low blow, and He'd showed me that, you know, it was my fault, that things were going wrong. And it was like I physically, you know, nobody, I didn't want a physical feeling, but it was like it was in my spirit right here. I just kind of bent over, kind of walking like, and I said, though He slay me, yet will I serve Him, you know what I mean? And it wasn't that the Lord was beating up on me, but I just sensed in my spirit, you know, I, it just was in there. And so I was kind of bent over and everything. And so I realized, you know, I, I, I want to pray. I got so much to pray about. You know, Lord, I want to be diligent about this. 
And then I said, well, but I want to do it in the Bible way. I want to pray for Mr. Biden. I want to pray for Mrs. Harris. I want to pray for all those in authority. You know, he said, well, can the Lord help them? Well, just think about it. He helped you. <laughs> and he helped me. But I, as I was kind of bent over like this, you know, you know, just in my spirit, you know, the Lord. And I, and I just stopped when I started to pray for the presidential office and the Congress and the Supreme Court and the state governors and the city and county and public officials. I, I was bent over. And I started to say the words out of my mouth. And I finally got straight. I stood by the old two box. Y'all know what a red two box is up by my car lift over there? You know where it is, son? It was an old two box I've had. Actually, I've had it since I was in prison. You know, I got one there. I got other two boxes too. But I got over by that two box and I put my hand on it and I stood up, kind of helped myself up. You know? And I wasn't hurting. I wasn't in pain. I don't, it was a spiritual experience. And I started to pray for the government and all the authority. And I, this come out of my mouth. I just stood back and I said, Lord, I said, I can't pray for nobody else. <laughs> I said, I'm in such need myself. I said, it's me, me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. Oh God, it's like the Lord said, well then pray for yourself, son. And I started praying for myself. Because I knew I wouldn't go help Mr. Biden. I couldn't even help myself. I couldn't believe God for him. I had to believe God for myself. But as I did that and began to focus on him, he began to strengthen me. And he went long after walking around that hangar. It's 7,200 square feet, so you, it's a pretty good walk around there, you know. And I was walking around here, I don't know, about the fifth, sixth, seventh time I got to where I could stand up straight. <laughs> and then I squared my shoulders back. And then I said, okay, Mr. Devil, you take your hand off of Mr. Biden right now. <laughs> but I diligently sought him. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason that I haven't received more than what I should from God is because I have not diligently, consistently sought God for it. I'm telling on me. Now, I kindly, kindly say this to you, if you'll allow me. I believe that that probably applies to us also. And I say it kindly. Either the Bible's true or it's not. And we have to make the decision and decide up front, does the Bible mean what it says? Is it true? Will the verse do what God said it would do? For instance, John 15, 7, we read, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Is that verse true? Or is it a fairy tale? Is, does it mean, did Jesus lie when he said that? And if he did, we're wasting our time. But if he meant what he said, and I believe that he meant what he said, then if I will do what that verse says, I'll receive what that verse says. But if I don't do what that verse says, I will not receive what that verse says. In other words, he said here, if you 
Abide in me. I want to point out again. You, me, I have to initiate the process. It's not Jesus initiating. He said, if you abide. No, it's something I've got to make the choice. If I make the choice that I'm going to believe this verse and do what it says, then I'll reap the benefits of what this verse says. So let's talk about this. And I'll not tell the whole story because it, it's, it's pretty long, but I'm going to tell. When I was in prison, you know, I told you about my prison experience to get to this, this point right here. Because I'm born again, I'm spirit-filled. In fact, I am what you call the convict pastor. My nickname was preacher. I was preacher there. And I pastored a convict church. And I mean, God was moving. You could say, I preached to a captive audience seven days a week. They were captivated. <laughs> of course, I am joking. They were captivated by my messages because I was reading Brother Hagin's messages, most of it. But anyway... I was the, the convict pastor underneath a chaplain, Chaplain Browder. And of course, my wife met Chaplain Browder, knows him. I don't know if Randall remembers Chaplain Browder or not. Would he remember him? Probably not. Anyway, he was in her house, but he was a baby, then or, or littler, you know. Now he's a grown young man, you know. But anyway, uh, this uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, this is what the Lord told me about it. And chap, I was underneath Chaplain Browder. I was, uh, I got a letter from the parole board because they'd interviewed me about going out on parole. They sent me a letter saying that you'll be released from prison on parole in the month of none. And I got excited until I went and looked at a calendar. Have you ever looked at a calendar? You ever seen? It's got January through December. But, you know, even Dr. Chip hadn't come up with the month of none yet, you know. You know, we've been to England. We've been to, to France and, and over there, you know. The Lord sent me there. The Lord sent me to England. And we went over there. He came to go prophesy out of that nation and uh, tell them that they got the door open to the devil and there was going to be evil that took place in that land if they don't close the door. Well, when I went over there and preached, you know, everybody didn't show up. But anyway, I'd done what God told me to do. And then uh, some of them was looking at me like a cow at a new gate, and I'm not blaming them, you know, because here's this wild man from America, United States, comes over there, because America is more than the United States. I found that out. Educated. But, of course, we got the United States of America, but you got North America and South America. In fact, in my databases in the aircraft, 421 aircraft, it's got the database of the Americas, which is more than just the United States, you know. And it takes, you can go to any of those places in, if in that airplane. But anyway, uh, God supernaturally will help you and he'll watch over you and he'll be with you if you'll stand on his word. So, and I'm going to try to get to this point to tell you where uh, you won't pass out on me. But anyway, there in the prison, after I got this letter, said I'll be released from prison on parole in the month of none. And remember, there's no such month. Then I went out in the prison recreation yard. And I said, Lord, I said, you see what this letter says? Like he didn't know what it said, you know. And I read it to him. I mean, I did. And I went out what I call my prayer path. The prayer path is where I walked all the grass off by the fence, you know, walking around the fence, you know, and the guard towers and gun towers all around. So if you tried to take an early parole by climbing the fence, they can encourage you not to, you know, because they got armed guns and rifles and shotguns and all that. Got dogs, too, they can chase you with, you know. 
So I went out there and showed the Lord that letter. And the Lord said, son, he said, I didn't put you in that prison. He said, you put your own self there because you disobeyed the laws of the land, number one. And number two, you disobeyed me. He said, if you'd have done what I told you to do years ago, he said, you'd have never spent all this time behind prison bars. God didn't put me there. I put my own self there. He said, now, he said, if you want to walk out these prison gates, he said, you've served your time. He said, your life has changed, and it had. And he didn't agree with the crimes that I'd done. He didn't make all them right. I'm not saying any of that was right. But he said, I have forgiven you. I've washed you in my blood. I've cleansed you. And he said, I've set you free from all of that. He said, if you want to walk out the prison gates, he said, you can do it if you'll obey my word. And I said, Lord, what word? He, and he showed me this verse, John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And so I said, when well, I went over that, I said, well, Lord, I, I know I'm abiding in you and I wasn't bragging about it, but I mean, I was walking with the Lord to the best of my ability, you know, and that's all he requires of you. He's not a hard taskmaster. I mean, I was doing the best I could with what I knew, you know. And he was pleased with me because he don't require no more of you than what you know. But if you know something, he, he requires it of you. He wants you to walk it out in your life and be a reality in your life. Or at least be headed in that direction, you know. And I said, Lord, I, I know I got that. But he says here, if you, your words abide in me, uh, your words abide in you. He said, my words abide in you. You see that? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. I said, Lord, how do I get your word abiding in me? And this is what he impressed me to do. He said, get, down, get your pencil and paper out. And I did. I, I was on the maintenance crew at the time. And uh, he said, and sat down on the bench out there by the maintenance shop. And this is inside the prison, of course, you know. And he said, uh, sit down out there and get your Bible. And he said, I'm going to give you some scriptures. So I got me a notebook, you know, one of the regular eight and a half by 11 notebooks, a spiral bound notebooks. And I got it, and I sat down on that bench, and I got my, my pencil out, out of, out of a locker I had there in that, in that little room, that work room. And I sat down, and he gave me a list of scriptures. Not a whole lot, but he gave me a list of scriptures. And I wrote them out, you know, and uh, well, I guess, you know, I guess you call it longhand. Sometimes I get the shorthand in my scribbling, like, and you can't read your own writing. But anyway, I wrote it so I could read it. I wrote the scriptures down out of the Bible. That's what I felt impressed to do. And then uh, I had some on the front because I wrote it kind of big, you know. And I wrote, wrote them on the front and then I had maybe a couple on the back. This one paper. And then he said to me in my spirit, this is what I said. And I didn't hear a booming voice, but I just knew it. I was led to do this. He said, now walk the prison yard and read those scriptures out loud to yourself. I can tell you this from experience. If you'll walk the prison yard and read the scriptures out loud to yourself, faith will come. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Not just thinking about it, even though you think about it. Even though you meditate on it, faith comes by hearing. Do you know who you're going to believe more than anybody on this planet generally? Is yourself. Do you know where that you're going to get the most faith at? Even though we hear our wonderful ministers and thank God and Dr. Chip and others and Pastor Chris and who else you may hear, the quickest way to get you in faith is for you to speak the Word of God yourself. That's the quickest way. 
So I took those scriptures and I started walking that prison yard, reading those scriptures out loud to myself off that piece of paper. I'd read down through them just out loud, just over and over. And I'd think about them, of course, but I'm reading them. I'm not just thinking about them. I'm reading them, but I'm reading them out loud and my ears are hearing it. Faith comes by what? Hearing. He's a rewarder of those who do what? Diligently, consistently seek him. I was do I didn't even realize what I was doing, but I was consistently, diligently seeking the Lord. How? By seeking his word. And I kept reading those scriptures out loud to myself. I'd done that for one approximately one hour, not to the moment or second, but approximately one hour I read them scriptures out loud to myself. And when I got to the end of that hour, I tell you, I'd about memorized them, not because I was trying to. You read something over and over and over and over and over, and I'm talking about one behind the other. I'd read them down the front, then turn it over and read them on the back, just keep walking, you know, read them again, read them again. And finally, I got to where I about memorized them. So I folded it up and put it in my pocket. When I got to the end, but I was still saying the scriptures. Now I'm just confessing them out loud because they're in my memory, you know. And I'm saying them, but they still hadn't produced any faith. When I got to the end of that hour, I can tell you what I had. I had a dry mouth, and that was about it. A dry mouth. Now, I can give up right now and say this doesn't work, or I can be believing that God is a rewarder of those who do what? Diligently seek Him. Now, I know I'm saying a lot here, but let me say it again. Let me try to say it easy. Most people, Randy, let me preach to me, serve God in the emotional realm, in the feeling realm. And if they don't feel something or feel good about doing something, or if they don't have an exhilarating sense, go through them, they think that God's not around. Because when you believe in God, it is not emotional. It is not a feeling, even though feelings will come. It will come. But you can't base it, because I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. Emotionally, it was just dead, dry. Because I've been saying that word. I got me a sip of water out of the water fountain. And wet my whistle, as Granny would say. I wet my whistle. And I went back at it again. He's a rewarder of those that do what? Diligently. Diligently diligently consistent. Just stay with it. Stay with it. So I took off again. Here I go. Didn't take me long to get me a sip of water. You know, it probably took me within three or four minutes. I had me a sip of water out of the cooler water uh, fountain there on this hallway, and I'm back out in the prison yard, and I'm going reading them scriptures out loud to myself. And of course now, I didn't got them in my memory. And I got through the second hour, and it seemed like I wasn't getting anywhere, because I'll tell you what was fighting me that letter that I had backed up by the governor of the state of Alabama saying I'd be released from prison on parole. Never be released from prison on parole. Every time I'd, I'd try to get in faith, that letter would you know, raise its ugly head and I'd say, you're never getting out. The governor said you ain't getting out. Parole board just said you ain't getting out. The deputy warden said you wouldn't getting out. The warden said you ain't getting out. So all that's just haunting me over and over. So I've got to get God's voice louder than that voice in order to come on, you know. And the way you do it. So I just stayed with it for another hour. So I got two hours in and I really hadn't got into faith. But I just kept on consistently saying it. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. After about two and a half hours, maybe a little less, give or take a few minutes of saying it, I can tell you where I was at. Y'all remember that? State and Correctional Center? Y'all know where that's at? Over in Elmore County, Alabama, north of Montgomery? 
I was standing there, and I was between two gun towers. Actually, it was a gun tower. I was going, the gun towers behind me back here, and then there was one back over here in this corner, and I was walking down this fence down there. So I'd be walking in the direction. My back was facing to the west. My face was headed east. Jesus is coming out of the east, so I guess that's how the faith comes. But anyway, I was about halfway between those gun towers on this long walk on this fence. And all of a sudden, as I'm walking along, after doing this for about two and a half hours, faith come. I said, faith came. Faith came. And it dropped right down in my spirit. And I knew that I knew that I knew that God's word was true. And I knew that God's word superseded any letter or anything else that I was facing and that God was on my side. He had showed up because he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him and faith comes by hearing. If you stay with it, if you be diligent, I don't care how impossible. It was impossible. It was impossible. But I stayed with it. I stayed with it. I stayed with it. I stayed with it. Thank God. God help me. Faith came. And I'm standing there with this faith inside of me. I'm standing I don't know what to do with it. But I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Woo! I got it. I mean, it was inside of me and I knew it. I mean, it was flowing. I felt like I didn't need no rocket uh, engine to launch. I could just spread my wings and sail over the fence. But there was a guard up there, and he might not know the song when I sang it going over. But anyway, I stayed there. And I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, you believe you receive your parole? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, claim it right now. I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I claim I received my parole. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's mine regardless of what it's like. And I'm going around the world preaching the gospel, casting out devils, raising the dead, healing the sick, open eyes of the blind. I'm going around the world preaching the gospel. And I'm standing inside of this place. I got so excited, I turned and looked at the gate that you walk out of when you're released. And I said, hear me, O ye gate. I said, I serve notice on you today in the name of Jesus. And I command you to open because I'm going out of you and I'm going to preach the gospel around the world and nothing is going to stop me. Do you hear me? Oh, ye gate. The gate didn't say nothing, but I did. Many people are still locked in behind the gate because they don't prophesy to it. And if you're not in a position to prophesy to it, don't prophesy till you get in a position to do it. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Regardless of how impossible it seems. Well, to make a long story short, it took, even though that it took about three months for it all to come to pass. One day, August the 27th, actually before August 20th, the latter part of August, because that was in uh, June, first week of June that I'd done that. latter part of August, Captain Felton Crumpton came, found me on the prison yard. He was so excited. He said, uh, Preacher. I said, What is it, Captain Crumpton? He said, You ain't going to believe it. I said, what is it, Captain? He said, you ain't going to believe it, son. I said, Captain, what is it? He said, you ain't going to believe it if I tell you, son. I said, sir, they call me a believer. Just give me a chance at it. Just give me a chance. Let's see if I can believe it or not. He said, your pro papers are up there on my desk. And he said, you're going home Monday morning. I said, what? And he was laughing. He was happy for me. 
because everybody thought I had lost my mind. Everybody did. They thought I'd been touched with too much religion. You need to be touched by God. I'm here to tell you, God has been good to me all my life. And every time that I diligently sought him, he's always worked in my behalf. And he recently spoke to me and said, you're not diligent. <laughs> he got on me. Like I said, I was been <laughs> And I said, yes, sir. But I remember, I walked out of that prison gate, August 27th, 1984. By a miracle of God, God set me free. And I'm here to tell you, and that's just one example.